you're hungry, because you're listening to Everybody Eats. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Everybody Eats podcast. It's your host, Bensky Belazare. We're here with co-host Eden Ekpi on the line. And we have a really special guest for you guys today. We have Daniel Ajapong. Hope I said that correct. Um, so I want to thank you very much, Daniel, for coming on today's episode. And it's funny, I keep telling you guys, um, when networking, networking is very, very important. And how me and Daniel met was very interesting. I actually met him on a plane um, while I was <laughs> a couple months back when I was on the way to Kenya. We were actually just pretty much sitting next to each other. I think, yeah, I think we were pretty much like silent for most of the plane ride. It was like a, like a red eye, like in the middle of the night. And then, like, towards, like, the last couple minutes, maybe, like, the last hour or so of the plane ride, we just ended up talking, and then um, we ended up going our separate ways, but we stayed connected. And then I was like, hey, man, like, it'd be cool if we have you on the podcast episode, and, you know, we, we connected like that. So, before we get into the full crux of today's episode, make sure you're following us on all platforms, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, at everybody.pod, on Instagram, Twitter, um, at everybody underscore eats underscore that's where we post all uh, our snippets content all that good stuff check us out on apple podcast spotify wherever you listen to podcasts we're on there so make sure you go check us out so in light of that let's get into today's episode so daniel if you could briefly introduce yourself who are you where are you from what do you do and then we'll get into today's episode yeah yeah sure um uh, like you said, the name is Daniel Ejipon. Um Pretty much from um, New York. Um, my parents live in Syracuse, New York. I went to school on Long Island. Uh, that's where I kind of um, began life um, the hard way. Uh, then after that, I migrated uh, and went overseas and started taking on these uh, uh, risky opportunities with the U.S. government. Uh, did some few projects here and there. And um, now I'm in Germany, uh, basically raising a family and trying to survive pretty much uh, in these hard times of Corona, of course, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much a nutshell uh, where I am. Got it, got it. So um, we'll, we'll get more into, you know, the, the jobs in a few. But one thing that I was actually asked the other day by a friend, I was like, you know, I think this is a great question um, I want to ask on the podcast is... How would you, what was life like growing up um, in, for me, you know, I, I grew up as Haitian and there were a lot of things that I grew up, um, you know, with, with the Haitian culture that kind of affected the way my thinking and, you know, the way I approached life. So what was life like growing up? I know you said that you're from Ghanaian descent. So what was life, life like growing up, I guess, in a Ghanaian household? I know you said you were born there and then raised here. And I guess what were... You know, were, were there any specific traits or any parts of the culture that you could say that helped frame, you know, I guess your career path growing up or like your certain mindset? Yeah, of course, uh, African, growing up in African parents, uh, it's uh, insane. I'm very sure it's no different from Asian uh, <laughs> family. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's quite, discipline is key, you know. And um, even at this age, I still have a, a certain level of fear for my mom and my dad. <laughs> it's just that fear giving you at that age. I'm a grown-ass man now uh, with kids, four kids, in fact. 
in a better in a wife and I still have that fear. Just you know, sometimes my wife just thinks I'm I'm, I'm afraid of my parents and I tell her it's not that I'm afraid of them. It's more like I just have that respect. You yeah. Know? You just you just you grew up with it and you can't just let go easily where you become disrespectful, your tone of voice you have to watch. Uh, there's a look African parents can give you and you've already yeah. you know, you talked about <laughs> My mom had like three ways of calling me. I knew which one was trouble, which one was friendly, and which one was just um, basically like uh, I'm being pampered, you know. Um, like my my I was named after my father, so my mom has a way of calling me sometimes where she would say my husband, right? Yeah. Because she's calling my father, she's calling my husband, right? So then I know I'm being pampered. I know you know it's sweet times, you know. Yeah. And then there's a way and a tone she would call. Um, like uh, eating is a Nigerian descent, he probably knows this. In Ghana, we are, we're so cultured in the way where we have day-born names, okay? So someone born on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's a name for it. Uh, it doesn't really have to be your official government name, but you'll be known as that because you were born on that day. So I'm called Kwabena, which is a Tuesday born. Now, my mom has a way of saying this Kwabena in two ways that I know is trouble. There could be sometimes Kwabena with a yell, Kwabena! Then you know you're in trouble. Something has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And there could be sometimes Kobna with a, a easy tone like, "Hey, Kobna." Then you just know it's a favor she's about to ask. <laughs> so all those things were just naturally crazy. You know that you just know when not to mess with them. You know when you're pushing your limits. You know, um, you know it just it, it just helped a lot to grow up uh, in America. You know, you go you go outside. You meet your other colleagues and friends from different cultures. And um, you can see some things they do, and you even wonder how can you speak like that to your parents, or how can you even not listen to them? And you go home, and you know not to try that because <laughs> your ass is in trouble. You know? <laughs> so, um, in terms of that, it was a good, it was a good coach, and I'm very proud of that. I mean, I appreciate that. I think he helped me be the type of man I am today. Um, he helped me. Um, some good decisions, even though I still made a lot of bad decisions, but it probably wasn't as worse as it could be if I didn't have that culture frame from growing up in an African home, you know? Definitely, definitely. I love I love that. You know, do you have anything you want to put in? You sound like you, you had some oh, similar I, experiences. I relate to everything, everything he said. Um, not so much in my household uh, we get called by uh, the our name corresponding to what day of the week we were born, but I do get, I was named after my mom's father so yes she'll say in my husband if she wants to come pamper me and then she'll switch up everything she wants to say about me depending on um how her mood is or anything but yeah Betsy was i was on a, the phone with him yesterday he heard me annoying my mom so he heard all the uh the tone changes and everything. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, definitely. So, um, the the I, I find it interesting because yeah, I mean Haitian culture we don't we don't do the the different days in the week, but obviously like very very similar in um pre- pretty like strict and like structured household. And like one big thing that you know my parents are big on is education. They they were you know from the day I was born to till uh, till now they're very big on education. So that had a big really big impact on I guess my career path in the sense of like you know it was like all right you're gonna you're gonna go to college you're gonna um, find a job um, get you're gonna go to college get a degree find a job you know and and so on and so forth 
So uh, I, I grew up with that mentality, and that's just something part of the, the Haitian culture, education, you know, hard work. So that's something that I was really gr uh, grateful for. So definitely love to love to hear it, you know, uh, different different perspectives. Yes. You know, and, and uh, let me add this with the day born thing, right? It's yeah, I know, like pretty much. Besides Ghanaian, I don't think any other uh, nation on it. I, I could be wrong, but I've never met anybody from any part of the world that has that. Um, you know, they have that culture of people. It's just a Ghanaian thing, I think. Yeah. And it's so unique in many ways. Like, if I ask you right now, what day were you born? You probably wouldn't know. Yeah, I was like okay. Thursday. You so. probably might have to go to the calendar and look at 1985 yeah. and, um, <laughs> you know, the 2nd of June and, and tell me what day it happened to be, right? Yeah. But for us Ghanaians, just about all of us, you can instantly ask a Ghanaian what day of the of the week when you born, they'll be able to tell you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, they don't even have to prove to you before you go to their age and everything. You probably will really find out that it is a Sunday. So you hear names like Kojo, Kofi, like Kofi Annan, yeah, Kwame, um, Kwesi, um, okay, um, Kweku, Kwabana. Those are all they born names. You know, like Monday as a name it goes with. Wednesday as a name, it goes with Friday as a name, you know, and, and so on and so forth. It's quite unique. It's quite yeah. unique. That's crazy uh, because I actually know a couple people with those names, so that's, and they're already yeah, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. I know you read them. You just didn't know the way, yeah. they, um, you know, the, the day they were born. Like Kofi Annan, Kofi is a Friday born. Kofi Annan, so Kofi was born on a Friday. You got Kwesi, Kwesi is a Sunday born. You got Kwame, who's a Saturday. You got Kweku, me, it was a, a Monday. You got Kojo, which is, uh, I believe, a Monday. I'm, I'm Tuesday, Kwabunai. You got Kojo, is a Monday. You know, then it's, it's just, you make it. Funny enough, these are all guy versions I'm giving. These are the guy for male. Eh? And then they have the female ones. Okay, that goes alongside the male one. Yeah. You know? So you got Kofi, then you have, uh, you got Kwesi, then you have uh, Efia, then you have. Kofi, then you have uh, Ikria, you know, it's just, then you have Kwabana, then you have Abana, you know, so if it's a male, they have, they call you, this is a female, it's very, very unique, like I said, I don't know of any other person from any part of the world that has this, Nigerians actually laugh at us with this thing, but um, <laughs> I definitely think it's quite, of course, besides uh, Ghanaian and Nigerian jollof beef, which Sure you oh. <laughs> that, yeah. We'll say that for another episode. We'll say that for another episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the day-born name for Ghanaians is, is very unique, and I, I think it's it's a wonderful thing if you ask me. Just just how unique it is, and yeah. you can globally even hear African Americans naming these names, you know. Yeah. And uh, they might not know, but we know. You know, you as a Ghanaian can relate to where that name came from. Definitely, definitely. So. Um, that's a little culture lesson. That's a little culture lesson that everybody eats. So, <laughs> so, so moving on now. So, uh, let, let's talk about, I guess, your, your college years into your early career, early career path. Um, I know you said, uh, you know, you're working for, for, you know, the government uh, post-college. And one thing that, um, we discussed a couple, uh, a little while ago was, especially growing up in New York, it's not as common that, post-college you'll find someone going to work for the government 
Um, where I'm currently living um, out here in Southern Virginia, it's actually pretty normal. Like, you know, there's a lot of yeah, government yeah, jobs, yeah. military jobs. Virginia, that's, DC area. Yeah, right. that's like normal for people like, all right, post-college or maybe I don't go to college and go work for the government, go work for the military. But in New York, you don't really see that as much. It's not really as promoted in schools. Um, it's not really as like popular. So let's talk about how did that come about? Was that something that you always wanted to do? And like, you know, if you could describe that college to early career path. Yeah, um, um, I went to school, like I said, I, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. Um, my, my, most of my um, family members and cousins and brother and even my siblings, younger than me, they all ended up in um, Buffalo uh, University, eh? uh, State in New, um, New York School, you know. Mm -hmm. um, my parents also wanted me to go to uh, Buffalo as well because it was much closer to Syracuse. But me being me and um, feeling like um, Syracuse was a bit of like a village for me, I wanted to be exposed and be in a city, like a big city. So uh, I took on an opportunity to go to school in uh, Long Island, uh, Old Westbury. So I went to uh, SUNY Old Westbury. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I did my four years there. Um, pretty much normal life. Uh, played soccer for the school. I uh, worked around the area while I was going to school. It was quite tough. At some um, point, I really couldn't afford uh, uh, living in the the dorms, as in the school dorms. It was too expensive, so I had to try and find my own. We were renting an apartment. I was living in somebody's basement. Some Jamaican guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> um, uh, he helped me out a lot. Rent his basement, live out there, drive to school, drive to work, and, you know, the normal life. Like you said, you never hear anything of um, government jobs, and even though there are such um, opportunities out there, you know. But then I was going through, I went through these hard times where, you know, a lady I love so much was basically, uh, things were not going so well with her. Uh, was a Nigerian, by the way. <laughs> um, I got so, nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so, you know, this old African culture, Nigerian, Ghana, detain, you know, probably family don't support, you know, all that thing. You know, it just, it just wasn't working out. Mm. And um, I was really hurt and I was in pain and broken heart. And I felt like, man, if this girl lives like only 10 kilometers away from me, shit is not going on. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not sure if I could kill some this part. Yeah. Anyway. If things are not going on right, um, then how much more if I live miles and miles away, like thousands of miles away? It wouldn't really be any different, would it? So I just started opening my mind about finding opportunities anywhere, really. Um, and I remember being so hurt that I said, and I prayed about it. God, take me anywhere, anywhere in the world, even if, you know, the worst situations take me, you know. But I still never thought these things could, you know, come my path until one time I spoke to a, a colleague that I was working with our school with. His name is Rashid Ajishafet, another Nigerian. Um, so Rashid then was back in Nigeria after uh, post-college and he was trying to handle his mother's uh, business and things like that. Um, so he didn't really have to stay in the States and try and, you know, he did, he also did the same thing working at Home Depot and things like that while still schooling. But after that, he went back to Nigeria. So Rashid then told me about 
um, speaking with this other colleague of mine, called Mike, Mike um, Kola Daramola. So another Nigerian. Um, so Mike then said to me, hey, why don't you put your resume uh, on this website and uh, see what's up, uh, which was a company named KBR. KBR is a Texas-based company. Uh, so being in New York, there's no way you're going to hear about them. They don't yeah. promote it. They don't even let you know that these opportunities are out there. They don't let you even know there are companies out there so invested in like employing Americans and things like that. These things are well known, like you said, in the Virginia, D.C., Maryland, and then the Texas area, you know, yeah. because of uh, that oil side, you know. So Mike told me about this thing. I put my resume out there. Maybe about a month later, um, I remember receiving a phone call on my way from um, um, Long Island driving to go see my parents in uh, Syracuse. And... Um, this guy called me and said, hey, Daniel, are you still interested in this job? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll call you in about three hours, and I'll have an interview with you. I said, cool. So I'm thinking, it's going to be an interview, your background, what you've done, blah, blah. So I drove as fast as I could, um, got home, set up, you know, got my resume and everything. The guy calls me, and the interview was really pretty much to introduce me to the job and tell me, listen, if you're really interested, this is what I'm telling you. It's a government job. You have to uh, do a background check. You have to pass. And after you pass, we want to take you to um, Iraq or maybe Afghanistan. Is there somewhere you're willing to go? I was like, huh? Iraq, Afghanistan? <laughs> said, yeah, it could be one of them. Are you cool with that? I was like, but you know, you, you know my condition. You know, I was hurt. I prayed about it. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? I'll do it. So, okay. So if that's the case, this was maybe on the, I think it was a Thursday, I was speaking to this guy. This guy was saying to me, I could even get you to Texas on Sunday if you want. I was like, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> I got to move out, you know? Yeah. And he's like, okay, okay, so how, how much time do you need? So I have him give me two weeks. So two weeks I spent that weekend with my parents, went back to Long Island, told my landlord, this is it, I'm out. Told my jobs, gave them those two weeks, quit, pack up my things, well, drove them back to... Uh, Syracuse to my parents' basement, hopped on the flight on one Sunday, uh, November 3rd, I remember, 2008. Um, and that was it. That was the beginning. If I went to Texas for about two weeks, they in-processed me, did the background, did all kind of medical screening. You have to make sure, you know, your blood pressure, everything, you clean, uh, HIV, STDs, all kinds of, you know, things, because you, you, you're in the military pretty much. Yeah. Know? But I was like working for a company that works for is working for the government. So we work on, on our IDs. They, they looked at us as uh, employees of the Department of Defense (DoD). But um, technically, we were um, subcontracted to them. You know. Got so it. that two weeks came. I left. By the way, this older girl. I told uh, I couldn't even tell. I was you know, like I just told her that uh, I'm traveling a bit. I'll let her know. So next thing I know, after that two weeks in Texas, I find myself in Iraq. And then that's when I break the news to everybody, even including family. I really didn't tell my family. You know, the African culture we're talking about, my mom wouldn't have let me go. She would have stopped me. So I just had to tell her, oh, there's a job looking for me. I'm going for an interview in 
Texas, I'll be back. And then the next time she heard from me, I was in Iraq, you know. And that's pretty <laughs> much where it all started, yeah. Got it, got it. So, um, real quick, let's we're gonna wrap up this segment. Um, I really want to get into that, so we'll get we'll talk a little bit more further in, on the final segment. Um, we're gonna wrap up this segment, go into the quote of the day, and then we're gonna continue that story because I definitely, Sorry, I definitely Steve. love that. Welcome back, everyone. Segment two of today's episode. We just had a very great conversation with Daniel talking about his background, getting um, from college into the government job. So we're going to continue that conversation in uh, the third segment. But right now, we're going to take a break and do the quote of the day. So today, I have the quote. Um, the quote isn't hard. Um, if I give you tips, though, you guys can probably guess it. But today's quote is, you can't base your life on other people's expectations. You can't base your life on other people's expectations. So uh, this is a, the tips are gonna give it away, but he's a music artist, old school. Um, most, I wanna say most famously, but one of his famous songs is Isn't She Lovely. Oh, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Stevie Wonder. <laughs> any tip I gave would have been, any tip I gave would have been, if I said he was blind, if I said anything, it would have been yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was, yeah, there was, yeah. It was too, too easy. But um, the quote itself, you can't base your life on other people's expectations. I, I really like that quote. Um, kind of hearing how, this is somewhat similar to what we were just speaking about, where you said, um, you know, if, you're, if your parents heard that you're about to go overseas, it would have been a completely different story than if you just packed up and went yourself, right? And I think, um, you know, I, in, in that case, you know, maybe, you know, it has to do with like job safety and things like that. But I think overall, um, something that maybe students go through while they're in college, maybe they're looking for a career. And I think a lot of times um, we're influenced by our what career path we should go oftentimes by like our parents where our parents are saying oh i expect you you know right, kind of like right. i want you to That's be uh, like a doctor i expect you to be a, a lawyer i expect you to be an engineer and it's it's always cool to have parents who support you know you know further education in those jobs and i think that's a blessing to have um because there are a lot of students and kids who don't have that you know maybe parents you know in their ears saying that you know I, this is what i want from you but at the same time, I think it's very important that you choose your career path, right? Because you will see a lot of times in college where students are like, you know, I'm going to law school, but it's only because my mom wants me to be a lawyer or my dad wants to be a lawyer, but they truly don't want to be a lawyer. And I think that could be dangerous right. because, you know, you're going to spend all this time and money going to law school. Maybe you do become a lawyer and this whole time you're like, wait, I don't even want to do this. I never wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. I never wanted to do this in the first place. So... Um, and like, no, I, I, I definitely don't want to be in that position, you know, for, you know, when it comes to finance, I kind of chose this, but even, you know, throughout college, I realized it's not maybe what I really wanted to do, but you know, you know, that's why I kind of realized like, you know, podcast, a little bit of entrepreneur, that's what I want to do, you know? So it's like being able to find what do you like and, you know, having the opportunity and blessing to be able to pursue that. So, you know, you don't want to always live your life on what other people expect you to do because it may not always line up on what you want, you know, and I, and I think that's just important to live out. So 
Um, I know you, you were gonna you were gonna say something, Daniel. So what's what's your uh, your take on that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Especially with the example you gave, that's the one of the major problems we have in these uh, African uh, homes. You know, growing up uh, with African parents, they force these things on you. You know, and sometimes it's almost like what they feel. You know, they try to let you live it, and sometimes they have some unrealistic expectations too. Uh, the truth is, we all don't have the same thing we like. We all don't have the same um, capacity to even learn. Yeah, it takes a lot to be a lawyer or a doctor. I mean, you got family support, you got financial support, and so many things. Uh, you got situations where the family know very well they can't afford, but they're pushing the child to to go through it. So you end up going through your whole um, career trying to be a, a doctor. Uh, always in debt or struggling to find and having to probably beg and being in some uncomfortable situations to just find the means to even get through it while maybe other process could have been easier. So definitely I, I do I do agree with you that you know you can't base your your you know you can't think of what others expect of you as a, a way to live your life. Definitely not. But even from that aspect, even in a normal friendship and you know friends and things like that, you know, you can also use this quote in there, you know? Yeah. Like, you know what you expect of your friends, you know what they expect of you, but you need to be you. Yeah. You get, and you just have to let your friends accept you for who you are, you know? And I also think you also, we also need to also know how to accept friends. Like, I have so many friends, I know how to deal with each of them in uh, different ways. And um, most of these other friends even, they only remember each other when we're all in college. But as of today, I speak to that person, I speak to that person, I have a good relationship with that person. But amongst them, they don't even talk or they, they haven't heard from each other for like ages, mm. you know. And I might be saying something about that because, oh, he's still around. But, you know, so everybody's different. You can't expect people to, you know, do things the way you want them to do. You just have to accept. And, um, you have to be the one initiating if you feel like it, if you don't feel like it. It's also good to help other people initiate. And that's how you just um, basically go about life. You know, everybody's important in our life some way, somehow. Everybody doesn't come to make a positive impact. Some came for the negative and the experience, and it's really good that you have them in it. And um, you just have to know how to deal with it, each person as they come, you know? Definitely, definitely. And Ian, what's your, what's your take on it? Um, yeah, I, honestly, you guys covered a lot of what that quote means, um, doing just agree, so. All right, definitely. So, um, there, there, there it goes again, like, you know, it's, it's, it's important to make sure, um, you know, you're, you're following what you want. And I think, uh, one thing that I keep hearing or I've heard a lot, um, this goes all back to Gary Vee, right? Um, one thing that he talks about is self-awareness. And um, we spoke about this a little bit on a previous episode, I believe with like Chester Hall. Um, we speaking about self-awareness, or it's important to know um, know yourself, honestly. Like, what, what are your interests? What are your passions? Like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Right? And it's like, when you, when you really know yourself and what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you like, what you don't like, right? I think, one, I think those are four key points that everyone should know, right? What they're good at, what they're not good at, what they like and don't like, because they're not, they may not all be the same. What you're good at and what you like may not always be the same, right? But that's a, that's a whole different topic. But when you have those points, I think it's easier, 
for you to kind of guide your either career path or you know what you, what your interests are, what you want to pursue, if you want to start a business, if you want to start a brand, if it's just like your hobby. Once you know those things about yourself, it's easier to say like, hey, you know, I'm I I like you know to dance and I'm good at social media, so you know I can create you know or I can start maybe like a dance company and promote it on social media, right? But you could be like, hey, I don't like, for example, nursing, right? And I'm not good at math, so let me not go into the medical field, right? So it's like, but if you if you're sitting here like, you know, my parents expect me to go into the medical field, but you don't like nursing and you're bad at math, right? It's not really gonna be easy for you, you know. It's not really gonna be the ideal career path, right? So you know, obviously that's just a little bit of an example, but when you have that, you know, self awareness of okay, this is what I'm good at, this is what I like. You know, and you know those points about yourself, you know, it will be easier for you not to live on other people's expectations because you can be able to call the shots yourself and be like, hey, I, I know this is what you want from me. But to be honest, this is I'm not good at that. I don't like that. And it's just not really going to work out. So um, I think that's just something that we can all take. And I think and th this stuff changes, obviously, like as you grow your interests and what you're good at and all that stuff, that stuff changes. Right. So it's not like. You know, what you're interested in doing in high school, like the, what I thought I wanted to be when I was in high school is different literally two years later when I was in the undergrad. And it's changed now since I, you know, post undergrad, right? So it's like, you know, you, things, things constantly change, your interests and your passions change. So, you know, it's important to, you know, know it and constantly go over like, okay, is this something that I'm starting to like? Is this something I'm starting not to like? Is this something that I'm actually good at? You know, and once you know those, it's like every day, you know, you can kind of like do like a self audit, be like, you know what? Yeah, this is something that I want to pursue or this is not something that I want to pursue. Um, so based on that, uh, the quote is you can't base your life on other people's expectations. Another great Stevie Wonder. So on that note, we'll conclude the second segment. Uh, and we'll go into our final segment. We'll go a little bit more into uh, Daniel's career path as a um, consultant and more into talking about taking risks. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another segment of Everybody Eats Podcast. We're here with uh, Daniel. Uh, we just finished speaking about his um, you know, background from growing up, getting into household, college, into starting into a career path. We just had a quote. Great quote from Stevie Wonder, you can't base your life on other people's expectations. So now we're going to kind of finish up his story about how he started and then go into taking risks. So where we kind of ended off was saying that you said you were, you were in Texas, right? You pretty much had the interview and then now you're, you're, you're getting ready to be sent into, you know, literally halfway across the world. So this kind of ties into taking risks, right? So... I would say that most po most graduates or seniors in college, right, they're not really thinking about, oh, let me go take a job in Afghanistan and Iraq, especially in 2008, 2009, you said. So besides you wanting to, you know, leave, because you said you want, to, you, you want to go somewhere far, but, you know, going somewhere far for me was like New York, to, New York to Virginia. For you, that was New York to Texas to like Afghanistan. That's a completely different pack up and go. You know, so what was it that, you know, I, I guess drove that decision or, you know, you know, like, you know what, let me just go take it. Was it really the fact that you wanted to go or was there something else that was that factor? Well, well, the, the true reason, I think the true thing that pushed me uh, was uh, two factors. Uh, in fact, one of them was I had just graduated from college and looking for job opportunities and all these people keep telling you experience, experience. And then you just wonder, 
And if you don't give me the experience, how do you, how do you expect me to come to you uh, with an experience, you know? Yeah. So I just keep trying with so many agencies and things like that. But I was never getting the job in the field that I actually graduated, which is accounting, you know? So that everybody wanted to speak about this experience, but nobody was employing me. So the fact that this KBL was willing to give me an opportunity to be an accountant was one. You know, it just happened to be in the most unrealistic um, places ever. But then it was going to be an accounting job, uh, no different from corporate America working in an accounting field, you know. So um, that was one of them that I was happy about getting the chance finally. And then, of course, um, for me not to fear the condition of where I'm being taken to, because back in 2007, 2008, um, if you remember reading the news all the time, it was always the, the big talking point was always Iraq, Iraq. Afghanistan wasn't even that big at the time. I mean, it was also there, there was war going on, but Iraq was the, was the biggest one, you know, because remember 2003, uh, we went in, uh, took down um, um, Saddam, and um, it just started this war. And yeah. the U.S. was trying to clean up and take it. So the hot moment was 2003, 2004, 2005, when my boy Mike had graduated and gone there, was never telling us, you come to New York, <laughs> come chill with us. Yeah. You even take him to club, paying for him to drink in the club and stuff. Meanwhile, this guy was making good money in Iraq and we had no clue. Yeah. It was crazy. He was never <laughs> telling any of us. We never thought of it. Yeah. You know? So, um, um, basically, it was tough, but... The whole idea of me going through that bad relationship, like the relationship didn't work, I was heartbroken, I was hurt, you know, and I, I was alone too, you know, I was leaving, we graduated, like I said, I, I had, uh, I was renting someone's basement while I was trying to finish up school, and now I was done with school, most of my boys have moved on doing whatever, some are back with their parents or living on their own in the city or somewhere still in school, um, yeah, I was, I felt like I'm still at someone's basement, graduated, can't find a job, you know, you just, you know, like you said, you can't base your, your, your life on people's expectations. I wasn't basing mine on what, what other people think, but, you know, self-awareness, like you said, but being aware of myself, I just do this not where I want to be, Yeah. you know, and it was just tough for me not to take this opportunity because it was going to change things, Yeah. you know, so that also made me, um, just make that decision and take that risk because like I said, if I was to really openly discuss it with my parents, it probably wouldn't have gone that way. I know that. I know it, my mom wouldn't have let me head out to Afghanistan or Iraq. You know? So th these are the two major things that pushed me. So I went for it and the rest was history. Got it. I don't regret. Got it, got it. Ian, do you have anything uh, you want to put in? No, no, I actually want to keep it in the story. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so definitely what I would say, all right, so now now you're 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 shipped off Iraq, Afghanistan. So what I guess what I can say you said it, it seems like you you're doing somewhat of accounting job, right? So I would say what were you doing there and how did those risks and those experiences, you know, I'm sure that they definitely shaped your, you know, 
who you are today to an extent, right? Because obviously working in downtown Manhattan and working, you know, in Iraq, even if you're doing the same accounting is going to be completely different, right? So more about those experiences and those risks, right? How did they teach you either, you know, more accounting skills, more managing skills? Because I remember said you're dealing with a lot with different people over there. So how did those, um, you know, I guess risky experiences help develop you? What did, what lessons did they teach you? Yeah, sure. Uh, you're right, definitely. Even though it was still like accounting um, field, it really wasn't anything compared to working in corporate America in Manhattan or anything like that. And um, I was first sent off to Iraq, by the way. So um, I went to Iraq. It was a rough um, life. It was basically a camp. You know? The U.S. government uh, had two little camps all over the city. Um, I said, so country, I should say, yeah. really covering from north to southern Iraq. I started off in a, a, a camp called uh, Buka. It was uh, in a, a town called Umkasar, um, Iraq, sharing battle with Kuwait. Uh, so people used to, used to have a um, transportation movement from Kuwait into Iraq, you know, when people were getting shot and all these kind of things. So what my job, my duties was, with the company I was working with KBR, our customer was the U.S. government. Mm. So we provided services to them. Now, my really duty was my co-workers. That was the job I was doing for them. So um, some of the things that I did was I was making sure in terms of payments, my co-workers, these jobs they are doing, they get paid. You know, I was also making sure, um, you know, based on the, the job we do, for the government, we have to code it and know what type of bill we should send them. Um, so we have situations where in the camp, maybe a general wanted, um, like let's say, you know, it's really hard in Iraq, so uh, maybe a general wanted like a shade over where he parks his car. So then my company, they'll contact my company about building a shade. Then my guys, then the carpentry, the carpentry department will come in and say, we need this amount of wood, we need this amount of nails, blah, blah, blah. So I do the purchasing of these things, give it to them, they go um, build it. Then now I also make sure we cool this thing to the right amount that this wasn't war related. It was more of the service to the general for his, you know, whatever. And then also um, people that did the job, how many hours they invested in it. Those type of that's what I was tracking yeah. on the accounting, you know, you know, cost wise, you know, yeah. trying to make sure we allocate the right cost to the right projects. Um, whether it was things we did to um, help the camp, because the camp was like, you know, we just took the place and it was like muddy and things like that. So we had to create some sort of like roads to make it um, easy, accessible, and traveling. So we have to basically order like uh, gravels from local guys. We, we have situations to where we order, um, we rent cars because the government don't want to go and buy cars. It's easier to just go and buy like five minivans or whatever for the project. But in case the war was over and they were leaving, um, they didn't want a situation where, you know, basically uh, conflict of interest where the general knows, well, I know this guy in this place and I liked him when he was working for us. So if I can sell the cars to his grandfather, actually make some cash you know mm. so they just go in and they don't buy they rather rent so we were doing the renting from the local guys negotiating the deals and then renting the cars and then when the war was over we just gave it back without having to you know, continue so that was really my job and um i did mostly that for three years with kbr then i went i came back to the states got some experience 
um, came there, met my wife, who was a German uh, descent, born and raised in Germany, was living in America. Uh, we met within that short time of me trying to live in the States. Really wasn't working out for me because I've gotten used to uh, the, the lifestyle I had in Iraq, uh, <laughs> having free food, breakfast, lunch, dinner, yeah. and you're making thousands of dollars. You know, sometimes you look at your check, you're looking at eleven thousand dollars a month. You know, you look at the risk factor because you're in the war zone. You could get about two thousand five hundred um, just for being in the war zone. You know, yeah. uh, so all those made it tough to try and come back in uh, in two thousand eleven. I remember to the states to try and uh, and work. I actually had a job, but. I didn't like it after a month, I kind of quit. <laughs> and I quit, and then uh, I had another opportunity when I just married my wife. A month later, I had to leave, go back to Texas. This time I went, the first time we came here, I went to uh, Houston. Okay. Second time with uh, a company named Dynacorp, I went to Fort Worth. Um, and they also took two weeks to process me, and they sent me to um, Afghanistan. Uh, so this time I was in Afghanistan working for Dynacorp. And pretty much the same, another subcontract to the U.S. government, working on a project called uh, Log Cap 4. Uh, we came here, did Log Cap 3, Log Cap 4 with uh, Dynacorp, doing the same thing, cost controlling, trying to make sure things are charged the right way, you know, providing our services to the U.S. government. I did that for about another two and a half years. Then I left, um, I left Iraq, I mean Afghanistan, and uh, by now, my wife was pregnant with uh, my first child while I was still in Afghanistan. So, uh, my, you know, two and a half years into it, my son is now about two years old, uh, growing up in Germany. Instead of going to the States, while well, I've actually done that before and I didn't like it, which made me end up in Afghanistan, I said, why don't I go to uh, Germany, try and learn the language? so I can, you know, speak to my son who was growing up, you know, because he went there when it was like a month. He was born in New York a month after that. I went back to uh, Afghanistan and he came to Germany. So that's what I did. I did two and a half years with Dynacorp, got more experience, came here, enrolled in school, um, you know, trying to learn German, passed. There's a level of German called the B1, and for everybody to be a citizen, unlike America where People can easily become citizens by just uh, pretty much learning some English on their own if they feel like it and taking an exam and, you know, being able to pass the history of U.S., you know. Yeah. In Germany, you have to actually enroll in the school and pass this and have a certificate that shows you have a, uh, a level of uh, B1 in German, you know. Mm. So it's very important for people to do that. So I mingle I, I with a bunch of migrants from Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Tunisia, Egypt, uh, of course some um, African countries like Ghana, Nigeria were also there, all trying to be Germans because for them that's their first opportunity you know, for these third world countries into Germany. So I had a good uh, time there too, but after that class I started getting bored again in Germany and I said no, I wanted another opportunity, I was trying to get a job in Germany, it was very tough um, to be from the English speaking country have a schooling in the U.S. and things like that. It wasn't easy. So I, I had another opportunity with uh, a company named Vectrus, and this time it was in uh, Kuwait. And in Kuwait, I did the same thing back with the U.S. government, working in the base of Kuwait, uh, building more of those experience. And then I did that one too for about two years. And um, 
yeah, in a nutshell, all this working for these three U.S. governments and uh, uh, doing these three U.S. government jobs in this very uncomfortable uh, area, uh, it really exposed me to life, what people are about, uh, the people I met, some of the people I had to manage in third world countries like Bangladesh, some had to crazy India. Um, even Africa, Senegal, Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, I met a lot of Kenyans. You know, we just realized that people um, grew up, the opportunities they had, uh, some of their um, lifestyle, um, some of the things that favored you versus what didn't favor them. Because yeah. uh, some of the people I could so much relate to, like, you know, telling you I was born in Ghana, grew up in the U.S., um, I feel very Ghanaian than anything, uh, as much as I, I'm very proud to be American. But then I was meeting people from Kenya that, or Nigeria that are very, like I could relate to them. Yeah. Okay. They were either my same age or sometimes even older than me, most, most of them, where I was a young guy when I started this project. Um, then I'm looking at them and I'm realizing that they're doing job, they're risking their life just as I am. Now, they're in the same place as me, they're doing job most of the time dirtier than I am. Mm. Okay, but then you see these people because they're from quote unquote third world country, they end in about Iraq, even people earn good money because the project was different. So these guys were earning about five thousand dollars being shipped to their, uh, being you know, sent to their uh, African accounts back in 2008 2009. Those were the times the things were good for them. Um, but even that, I was earning way more than them just because I'm American. Yeah. You get, and, and then I realized my favor. And then when you get to places like when I got to Afghanistan and Kuwait, even I'm seeing some of this amount, these guys are making like way less. But then sometimes it made sense what the government was trying to do or what our companies were trying to do because you could easily, you could easily mess up a country's economy overnight by being by going to like India or Bangladesh and employing people from there and telling them, hey, why would you want to stay here in Bangladesh and earn um, 200 rupees or 3,000 rupees or whatever, which is probably not even like $150 a month, Afghanistan or Iraq and making $2,000. Yeah. Everybody would just like, Pack up and go. They will risk their life and yeah. won't go see to go work for that US company in town that's employing people to go to Afghanistan. They wouldn't think of the risks involved. And really, you could empty a country easily. So, what they were doing was they were looking at the country, they were looking at the economy, they were looking at the cost of living, they were looking at unlimited to what they should provide. So, then, which made sense to me. So, if you had a situation where somebody was from Bangladesh, it worked the same as someone from Kenya, but a guy from Kenya would earn maybe three thousand dollars a month, while the guy from Bangladesh earns two thousand dollars a month. Because in Kenya, two thousand dollars a month in normal life is still not very good enough because you can earn it there. So you wouldn't want to risk your life go overseas, right? Mm. But three thousand now you're talking and people would want to risk it, you know. So they did that to try and control. So I learned so much uh, from other people. Um, I learned how to respect, I learned how to um, appreciation, um, love, love how people love, you know. 
as in true genuine love you can you know i learned a lot from the arab culture as well uh, i learned how um, arabs are very nice people they are genuine people um, all these isis things i think are framed around islamic but true down when an arab person loves you and says they care about you um, they show too much love than even we do you know when an arab offers you a food like as an african or asian offers you a food and you say no it doesn't really go that far besides you say no because you're full and you don't feel like eating right but when an arab offers you food they make sure you have to eat <laughs> and you reject yeah you reject it becomes offensive yeah to them you know and then when they give food they never give little they always i feel like they always give too much <laughs> they just want you to eat and eat and eat and, i mean i learned so much i learned so much really helped shape my life i just had a different view of different cultures um i appreciated my opportunities i've had in life um you know i look at my children now and i just want to give them the best knowing that um, this is what i can possibly do um i don't expect too much from them but i also just want them to like grow up being generally good people um caring for each other not letting racial um um situations kind of let them down um being open minded accepting people for who they are uh, accepting other cultures because it doesn't work in my culture doesn't mean it's wrong because somebody's culture is 100% how it goes you know yeah and things like that so yeah it's been a, it's been a, a a really good ride i'm still living it and uh, i'll say definitely uh, these are some of the things that shaped me to be a much better person than i could ever be if i took a job in um in Manhattan working I probably wouldn't have been anywhere near not even close being exposed to these cultures that they're exposed to yeah got it got it so uh we're gonna wrap this up and then we're gonna do one last segment just to wrap up the episode yeah so stay tuned <laughs> all right so I love I love hearing that story about how all those all those shapes. So one thing I, that really stuck out was the fact that you uh, said like it exposed you to a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people to see different ways of life. Um, and I think that's something that's really important in, in, in life in general, in business, in, in whatever career that you're going, that, you know, having that not only just regular experience, but having that cultural experience to see how people, you know, everyone does things differently, whether it's cultures and personally. So. Um, you know, that's definitely something that you were exposed to at an extreme level compared to someone who either stayed local um, or anything. So I have one last question, but before I do, Edom, do you have anything you want to ask? I just wanted to, like, end up, like, saying that actually all those experiences and everything you went through, um, I think the the risk, what's the, the, the risk, uh, risk analysis, yeah. I guess, uh, in... I mean, going in, you know, you had a lot, you you know, clearly meant a lot because you got, I wouldn't say tricked, but kind of, you know, uh, finessed your way past your mother and everything and and um, getting thrown into those high-risk situations really ended up making you more flexible, if anything, at the end in terms of mentality and and how you handle people. So. Right. Definitely, definitely. So what I would want to ask, one last thing, what, would, what advice would you give to, say, a college senior, right, whatever, whatever field that they're in, right, they're looking, you know, looking for a job after college, 
you know, maybe maybe they're they are successful, they aren't successful. But what advice would you give to a college senior looking for a career path? You know, whether it's taking something risky, whether it's saying being you know less risky and taking something secure. What is the advice that you give to a college senior? You know, looking for that first career and you know, and then going forth. Yeah, I would definitely say be patient. Um, definitely know what you want and really know that that's what you want and give it a shot. I remember being in college and, um, you know, um, trying to make it through. And it wasn't every class that I liked. Some classes were very, it's like you paid less attention because you just didn't have the interest, but you probably wanted the credits anyway, you know? Yeah. And I remember meeting a teacher. Um, who, this professor was like, um, by then he probably was in his mid-40s. And uh, he was a very simple guy. He was like economic teacher, very simple guy. And uh, this guy said uh, when he was in college, he never did, he, he didn't care about college. So he came to class and he was always failing. And he didn't feel like, um, you know, continue feeling, so he quit. He said he left and he just didn't bother with it until he came back when he was about 26 or 27 or so. And then he picked up and that's when he finally came and was acing everything and going through it. So I, I think um, for anybody trying to get through these things, you know, be patient. Definitely give it a, because this college thing is easy, but at that time you don't realize it's easy. Yeah. Um, give it time, be patient, um, keep seeking for the opportunity, especially the ones you know you have. But also be open-minded about um, going on a career path that could, um, quote-unquote, in a way, be what, what your life model is about, like what you believe in, you know? Yeah. Um, what I'm trying to say is, yeah, perhaps you were trying to be a lawyer, but even though you graduated with a law degree, you realize helping people and humanitarians is what you like. You know, don't don't be close-minded about you know going that way. The opportunity comes, you know, and then just just do your best in life. But uh, everything takes time; it doesn't come overnight. Uh, and in college, we definitely learn it. I don't think what the teachers in college is ever what we face in life. Just no way. Ever. I never remember sitting in any class that taught me how to make money yeah. or how to take the uh, risk, uh, risk um, you know, situations to, to, to know that this one is risky but it favors my family. Yeah. I'll be able to feed my family, so let me make it or let me. They don't teach you all these things. Yeah. They don't. You know, you really have to face it. You really have to look at it. You really have to assess it yourself. And you really got to give it a shot, you know, if you're really careful. And it's another thing I also learned through the processes because I met project managers and these projects I went to, um, I remember in 2000, I think it was 2011, just before I was, uh, Obama was ending the war in Iraq. And we started kind of, um, um, how do you actually state? Basically, it was decreasing in, in terms of camp. You know, let's say there are thousands of camps in Iraq at the time, and because the war was ending, we are basically shrinking. You know, so we're now uh, combining and kind of joining uh, regions in the country into one headquarters. And I remember there was a guy who was the um, um, basically the project manager for the entire Iraq, and this guy when the war started fresh and guess what he was doing on that project he was a plumber mm. the 
guy was a plumber. Didn't even go to school well to even go to college. He just took a trade of plumbing. Yeah. And that's how he ended up in Iraq. By 2011, he was a project manager. Yeah, that's crazy. Project <laughs> manager. And, then, and you know, I was working in finance department, so I had access to people's accounts and things like that. I was you know, able to know how much people earn in the month and what they're earning. And I could look at this guy's paycheck and see $23,000 in a month. That's, going into his account. That's crazy.